with the people today. We just trust that, that you will move upon your word as you always do and uh, encourage us all and, uh, and, and uh, just encourage us all, enlighten us all to a deeper revelation of just what it is that Jesus accomplished for us at Calvary's cross and through his resurrection. And we believe we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You, can, you can be seated. Let's, uh, if you have a Bible there with you, if not, it'll be on the screen. John 19 and verse uh, 30. John 19, John's gospel account, chapter 19 and verse 30. The Bible says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, now this is right near the end of the six hour time period that he was on the cross. He went on the cross around nine in the morning and died around three o'clock in the afternoon. This was right before he died, he received the sour wine. This was a non-alcoholic beverage that the Roman soldiers would carry with them when they were on duty. He received this sour wine, or some versions translated vinegar. Anyway, he notice he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Spirit left his body, his body died. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But let's move back in time from this place where he said it is finished and died. Let's move back in time to three days prior To his resurrection. Because how many of you know he died on the cross? He was buried. And how many days later did he raise from the dead? Three. Three. But what I want to do is, is we're centering in on the resurrection today of course. But I want to move back three days prior. And not just look at the resurrection. But three days prior as he dies on the cross and actually before he went to the cross and kind of build a timeline up to all the events that occurred to when he got on the cross and said it is finished. You know, Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples and he instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, do you all understand what we're doing here? He, he says it is he says it is finished and he dies and he's buried and three days goes by and he's resurrected. But what I want to do is I want to move back here to where he said it's finished and look at just some time prior to that, the events. Y'all, are you all with me? The events that occurred? Are you all with me? That led up to him saying it is finished and then led up to the resurrection. So he observed the Passover with his disciples and he instituted the Lord's Supper. And then, of course, he's in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's in great agony. 
The Bible said in that garden he sweated drops of blood. The agony was so great. And he said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass. But there was no other way. And then this man that he had walked with for over three years who had a close relationship with Jesus. His name was Judas. And this man betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and he did it with a kiss. To be betrayed is a horrible thing and but to be betrayed with a kiss, I think is extra horrible. You know, as honest as I could be, I'd just soon somebody come up and look me in the face and cuss me out than to, to my face and stick me with a knife in the back. How about you? But that's what Judas did to our Lord. And he brought with him a band of hundreds and hundreds of soldiers, Roman soldiers. And with a kiss in a moment of time, he betrays the Lord Jesus. Though he'd been plotting this betrayal for some time, yet he kisses the Lord, identifying him and Peter got upset and he took a sword and he cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, his right ear, Malchus. But even in that moment, Jesus heals his ear. They take our Lord to the preliminary hearing before the high priest. And then he went on trial before the Sanhedrin, which was a group of religious people. All of these trials that they put Jesus in front of were were against the law, but they did it anyway, falsely accusing him. And then Peter denies Jesus three times. And what a lot of people don't realize, and I think we should, is that at least on one account where he denied the Lord, the Lord heard Peter's denial. Think of it, a man that said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, just some time before now, says, I don't know this man. That must have broken Jesus' heart. And then Jesus is delivered to Pontius Pilate the first time and Pilate not wanting to have anything to do with it, he sends Jesus to Herod where Jesus is mocked and so forth and then delivered back to Pilate a second time and there was this murderer named Barabbas and they had a custom where one prisoner could be released and of course the crowd demanded Barabbas be released and and then Pilate's soldiers take 
Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison of soldiers around him and they stripped the Lord. They took all of his clothes off of him and they scourged him. They beat him immersively. If I had the time, I could go through that scourging. It was, it was merciless what they did to him, to our Lord. Don't ever forget Jesus took that whipping, 39 stripes, 39 lashes. He took every one of them for your healing and mine. They beat him. They put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted a crown of thorns and jammed it on his head. And these thorns were probably about that large. They weren't little bitty. So they were, and they, they crushed it down on his skull and They took a reed and put it in his right hand and the soldiers bowed their knees before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit upon him, spit on his face. They plucked his beard. Think of that. They pulled his beard. They plucked his beard. They took a reed and they struck him on the head. And then Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd and he says, Behold the man. The religious leaders and the crowd there that the religious leaders had, had, had prompted to do this, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate's soldiers had further mocked Jesus, they took that beautiful robe off of him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to Golgotha. It's known as the place of the skull. It's also known as Mount Calvary. And Jesus is taken there and he is crucified. Think of that, crucified. Nailed to a cross. Of course, at some point on that journey to Mount Calvary, Simon of Cyrene took Jesus' cross and finished the journey. What an honor that would have been to be Simon to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon arriving at Mount Calvary, Jesus was offered a narcotic drink, a painkiller, and when he tasted it, he refused it. And then at 9 a.m., Jesus is crucified, nailed to that cross between those two thieves, one on the right and one on the left. There was a writing posted over Jesus' head saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Jesus' first statement, he made seven statements from the cross that we have recorded in Scripture. The first statement, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. What an example for each and every one of us. The soldiers divided Jesus' garments and cast lots for his coat. The religious leaders standing by, there was a great crowd there, Multitude of people from my study of it and the religious leaders mock Jesus. And If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Both thieves, one on the right, one on the left, reviled him at first. But one of them repented and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Jesus utters his second statement from the cross and he says to the thief, I say unto you today, you'll be with me in paradise. What comforting words that must have been for that thief to hear that. The third statement Jesus makes, he looks at his mother and he says, woman, behold your son, turning her over to John. And then he says to John, behold your mother. And John took Mary into his house from that time on. Even in that moment, in that moment of trial, Jesus was still cognizant about the well-being of his mom. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior he is. We come upon high noon and darkness covers the land, which is... Symbolic oft times in scripture of the judgment of God. See, Jesus hung on that cross to be judged not for himself, but for you and for me. And the darkness covers the land and Jesus cries with his fourth statement as your sin and my sin is laid upon him. And he cries and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Don't forget that because we're going to come back to that in a moment. It's going to be very important. But he cries and he says, my God, my God. As he experiences, see, he never sinned. He didn't, he never sinned. There was no sin in him. Tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, he never sinned. Didn't know what it was like until our sins were laid on him. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel said that the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. See, he was cut off, but not for himself. It was for you and for me. And as that sin is laid upon him, he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then sometime after that, he cries with his fifth cry and he says, I thirst. And this time he's given a non-alcoholic non-narcotic drink and he receives it. Approximately 3 p.m., his sixth cry comes forth. It is finished. And then, right after that, his seventh and final cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus dismisses his spirit and physically dies. His spirit descends according to Psalm 16, Acts 2, and Romans 10. His spirit descends into hell, into the lowest part of hell. And Romans 10 tells us exactly where his spirit went into the abyss, also known as the bottomless pit, to suffer there on our behalf for three days and three nights. And it was your sin and my sin that put him there. It was your sin and my sin that put him on that cross. And it was your sin and my sin that put him in hell. As he dies on the cross, there's an earthquake. His side is pierced. Not a bone of his body was broken, but his side was pierced and blood and water came out. His body then was taken from the cross and placed in a rich man's tomb. 
a tomb wherein no man had ever lay. And it would lay there for three days and three nights. But I want to consider at this point of those seven statements he made, I want to consider the one that he made right before he died and he cries out and he says, it is finished. People have asked me over the years, Pastor, what did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? What was finished? Well, let me answer that for you. The Greek word for it is finished is tell, to tell estai, to tell estai, to tell estai, to tell estai. That's a Greek word, to tell estai. It means it is finished. To tell estai, it is finished. To tell estai, it is finished. And Jesus hangs there and he says, to tell estai, it is finished. And there were five things that this word to tell estai refers to. Five things. People want to know. What was finished? Five things. First of all, this word to telestai was used when a servant was sent on a mission and later returned to his master. Upon finishing his assignment, the servant would say to telestai, which meant I have done exactly what you have requested or the mission is now accomplished. Secondly, the word to telestai was the equivalent of the Hebrew word, you know, in the Old Testament spoken by the high priest when he presented a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish. The high priest entered the Holy of Holies where he poured the blood of that sacrificial spotless lamb on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. The moment that blood touched the mercy seat, atonement was made for the people's sins for one more year. At which time, once again, the next year, the high priest would enter beyond the veil of the sacred room to offer the blood of the animals once again. And this was done year after year to obtain an annual, temporary forgiveness of sin. Jesus hung on the cross as the Lamb of God fulfilling that of which every Mosaic sacrifice was a type and symbol. Jesus shed his holy blood for the permanent removal of sin to be offered on the Holy of Holies in heaven itself. When Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, he was declaring the end of all those Old Testament sacrifices because the ultimate sacrifice had finally been made. Atonement was completed perfected and fully accomplished. It was done once and for all, finished forever. In that divine moment when Jesus cried to Telestai, it is finished, all the Old Testament prophecies about his earthly ministries was fulfilled. The justice of God had been fully satisfied by the Lamb of God. At that moment, the sacrifice of the Old Testament could permanently cease For the perfect sacrifice had laid down his life for the salvation of all mankind. Thirdly, the word tetelestai was used in the business world of that day to signify the full payment of a debt. 
When a debt had been fully paid off, the parchment on which the debt was recorded was stamped to telestai, which meant the debt had been paid in full. Jesus took our place on the cross. We owed a debt we could not pay, and he paid a debt he did not owe. With his precious blood of Calvary's cross, he paid our debt, and when he paid it, he paid it in full. When Jesus uttered, Tetelestai, it is finished, it was his declaration that the debt for the sins of mankind was fully satisfied, fulfilled, and complete. His blood utterly and completely cleansed us from sin forever. Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Fourth, the word tetelestai was used to depict the turning point when one period ended and another period began. When Jesus exclaimed, it is finished, it was a turning point in the entire history of mankind. For at that moment, the Old Testament came to an end. It was finished and closed. The New Testament began. The cross was the great divide in human history. It divided time between B.C. and A.D. When Jesus cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished, he was declaring that the old covenant had ended and the new covenant had begun. Fifth, and finally, you wanted to know what it is finished means? I'm telling you. Fifth, and finally... The word tetelestai, it is finished, signifies, to, to let you know what else it signifies, as it signified four things so far. Now, fifth and finally, to get the fifth thing that it signifies, we have to go to Psalms 22. So if you have a Bible with you, open to Psalms 22. But I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Classic Version. It'll be on the screen if you don't, ha- if you don't have that with you. Psalm 22, verse 1, this is a psalm that has to do with the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, I think there's no way you can get around it, this was the psalm he was quoting on the cross. Yet the Holy Spirit only gave us two statements that he made from the cross that we got recorded in scripture, but I I believe he was quoting this whole thing. But notice in Psalm 22, verse 1, in the Amplified Classic, it says this, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, have we heard that here today before? I told you a while ago, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You needed to remember that. And this is why. Because Jesus cried that out as he went on the cross. Actually, he cried it out around noon. High noon. When, he, when sin was... When he, the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin. When he became sin. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
21 verses are given about the crucifixion. As you read Psalm 22, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way down to verse 21. Every last one of those verses have to do with the crucifixion. You ought to read those sometime. It, 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 would, it does everyone good to read those. 21 verses about the crucifixion. But then in verse 21, there's a change in tone. Thank God for the change in tone. There was a change in tone, and it went from that of crucifixion. You see, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's crucifixion. 21 verses on that. But then in the middle of verse 21, there's a change in tone. It switches from crucifixion to resurrection. From crucifixion to resurrection. Then... We have 10 verses on the resurrection. And at the end of that, after the resurrection has occurred, I want you to look at Psalm 22, verse 31. Psalm 22, verse 31. And I want you to notice the very last thing written up there in that verse says what? It is what? It is what? It is tetelestai. It is finished. You see... Jesus goes on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me at high noon when he becomes sin? But then at three o'clock in the afternoon, it is finished. But if you put that in context using this psalm here, you see that after the resurrection, after he's raised from the dead, then you see what? To Telestai, it is what? It is finished. You see, to Telestai, it is finished. Also, I gave you four things, but now here's the fifth. It also makes reference to the fact that Jesus needed to be resurrected from the dead, thus validating his great and mighty work on the cross. There needed to be a crucifixion, but there also had to be a resurrection. You must have that resurrection. Did you hear me? What does that resurrection do? It validates his great and mighty work on the cross. It lets us know that what he did on that cross was successful. Glory to God. Many people crucified in that hour, in that day, in that time. Is that right? But there's only one that was raised from the dead and his name is Jesus. Glory to God. So it is finished makes reference to the fact that he needed to be resurrected from the dead, thus validating his great mighty work on the cross. On the third day, listen to this, on the third day, after Jesus' death on the cross, the word of God descended, now listen to this, according to Hebrews 1, the word of God descends into hell, into the abyss, where his spirit is, where Jesus is. Not too many people want to talk about what happened from the cross to the throne. But it must be talked about. It's in the Bible. Not a lot of people want to talk about after the resurrection. Did you ever notice, particularly on Easter, 
You have the picture of Jesus dying on the cross, and that's great. Talked about it today. You have the picture of him walking out of the tomb, and that's great. Talking about that today. But you don't ever hear much about what happened between the cross, his death on the cross, and the time he's resurrected. What happened to his spirit? The Bible tells us exactly. And you, all, you know something else? You don't, after he comes out of the, the tomb, you don't hear much about what he did after that. We're going to show you that here. We must cover it because it's the word of God. On the third day, three days and three nights after Jesus' death on the cross, the word of God, according to Hebrews, the first chapter, descended into hell, into the abyss, and raised Jesus' spirit out of that abyss. Because Listen to this. Because Jesus never sinned, you see it was the just for the unjust. He's the just, we're the unjust. Because Jesus never sinned, he was able in great conquest to take the keys of hell and of death away from the devil. Jesus spoiled and disarmed principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. And the Holy Spirit of God raised Jesus from the spiritual separation from the Heavenly Father that he endured for three days and nights for all mankind. Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. Think of it. Others had been raised from physical death. Is that not correct? You see that through the Bible. But they all died again. Is that right? Jesus was first raised from what is known as spiritual death or spiritual separation. See, he was separated from the Father for three days and three nights, not for himself, but for you and for me. And you see, he was first raised from that spiritual death, from that spiritual separation from the Father, and then from physical death, never to die again. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus then walked in the spirit realm, now down in the inner workings of the earth. Jesus walked across that great divide between hell and Abraham's bosom, we learn about that in Luke the 16th chapter. He walks across something that no one ever tried to do. People in hell, they tried to get out of that place. They tried to get across that great divide over into Abraham's bosom. But they couldn't do it. Jesus, because he never sinned. You see, the devil could not hold him in hell because Jesus himself never sinned. He was an innocent man doing time for you and for me. Do you understand that? And you see, he never sinned. He took the keys of hell and of death. He stomped the devil. He whooped the devil. Can you say amen? Glory to God. He disarmed him. He took the keys of hell and of death. And he walked across that great divide over into Abraham's bosom. He came over there with that thief. Remember that cry from the cross? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He came over there with that thief and with all the Old Testament saints. Glory to God. And the Bible said they had a praise service. And Jesus said, Glory to God. I'd love to hear Jesus sing. How about you? Glory to God. Then the Bible says the angel back up on the earth. Back up on the earth. The angel descended from heaven, the Bible says. Rolled away the stone. And Jesus' spirit came up out of 
paradise or Abraham's bosom and his spirit came back up into his physical body and his physical body was hit with the power of Almighty God with the glory of the Holy Ghost and his body, glory to God forevermore, was glorified and it was resurrected as his spirit came back into that body Praise God. And with that, with that stone rolled away, he walks out of that tomb and he says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. And he says, no doubt, tell, tell us die. It is finished. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ha. Amen. 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 Shortly thereafter, Mary Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast out seven demons, set her free. She comes upon this person in the garden, thought it was the gardener, until he turns around and she hears his voice. And it's Jesus. And she goes to touch him and to worship him and He said, notice what he said. He said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. What did Jesus do after he came out of the tomb? Look at Hebrews 9. It'll be in the New King James. It'll be on the screen, Hebrews 9, 12. Now notice this. What did he do after he was raised from the dead? Hebrews 9, 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. See, he went up into heaven, didn't he? And not with the blood of goats and calves like they did in the Old Testament, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Those priests in the Old Testament had to do it every year. But he did it once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 24, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, the blood of animals. Verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he, Jesus, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, Jesus... The great high priest, after he's raised from the dead and comes out of the tomb, goes into heaven. Jesus, the great high priest, appears before the throne of Almighty God, offering himself as the spotless Lamb of God, the great eternal sacrifice, placing his holy, precious blood on the heavenly mercy seat, and as he does, eternal redemption for all mankind was sealed. Tetelestai, it is finished. Glory to God. 
mankind's debt to Almighty God has been paid forever, satisfied, to telestai, it is finished, paid in full. Jesus was then seated at the right hand of Almighty God, His Heavenly Father, to telestai, it is finished, mission accomplished. Can anybody say amen? Jesus did the hard part. He did all the work. He did it for us. Now it's up to us to do the easy part and to take advantage of what he did to finish the work of salvation for us. How does one do that? Well, notice Romans, the fourth chapter. And the fourth verse says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, see, there's multitudes of people. Go down to Walmart this afternoon, if it's open. I don't know if it is. Probably is. And ask people as they come out, what do you have to do to go to heaven? What must you do to go? What, what, what? And what's the number one answer you think you're going to get? I know what it is. They're going to say you have to be a good person. Do good deeds. Now, I'm not against being a good person. I'm not against doing good deeds. The Bible says we ought to do good deeds. We ought to be the biggest good deed doers. But our good deed doing does not get us into heaven. Jesus gets us into heaven. He did all the hard stuff to tell us die. It is finished. He did that. You understand that? Many people working, trying to work their way to heaven, work their way, work to do, do good things, go to church every week. How many of you know a Christian, a real Christian, somebody that's really saved, does go to church on a weekly basis? Yes or no? Absolutely. But pay tithes and this and that and the other and multitudinous of things people try to do to get their way to heaven. And they work and they work and they work and they work and they wind up in hell one day when they die. Isn't that sad? But the Bible says to him who does not work. This is talking about for salvation. Now this is not talking about a secular job or working out, you know, working. This is talking about salvation. But to him who does not work, but what? Believes on him who justifies the ungodly. That's Jesus. His faith or her faith, his or her faith is accounted for righteousness. See, Jesus did the hard part. We read about that. We talked about that today. And all we must do is the easy part. Believe on him and trust with a repentant heart. Believe on him and trust in him. And receive him. When you repent of your sins, and I feel impressed to say this, you need to listen to this. Before you can get saved, you must repent. Repentance is a thing that's not talked about much anymore, but the Bible is clear. The first words out of Jesus' mouth as he began his ministry was repent. That means to have a change of heart. 
That means to turn from your old life and turn to Jesus and walk with Him. You cannot get saved without that. When you repent of your... Listen to this now. When you repent of your sins and believe on Jesus, you tr- and listen to me, I'm not talking about a mental believe on Him. There's multitudes of people in hell right now that they lived their lives and they had a mental, they believed that He existed and they had a mental experience with Him. But never a heart change. Did you hear me? Jesus said you must be born again. That's what happens when you repent and receive Him as your Savior and your Lord. A lot of people in this hour want to take Him as Savior, but they don't want no part of the Lord part. But I'm here today to tell you by the authority of the Word of God, you can't get saved without making Him not only Savior, but also Lord. When you repent of your sins and you believe on Him, you trust in Him, you receive Him as your Savior and Lord, listen to this, good news, good news. When you do that immediately in a moment of time, tetelestai, glory to God, paid in full, is stamped on your past sinful record and all the handwriting of ordinances that were against you are taken out of the way and you get washed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You get born again. You become a new creation in Him and you will miss hell and make heaven glory to God and Jesus will make your life worth living in the meantime. Can anybody say praise God? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. Paid in full. Paid in full. It is finished. See, he did all that. You come and receive him and he paid in full gets stamped. On your past sins and they're gone. Washed away. In the Old Testament sins We're covered by the blood of the animals. But in the new covenant, our sins do not get covered. No, no, no. They get washed away. Because as you see, if something's covered, it could be uncovered. But when something gets washed away, it's as far as the east is from the west, never to be shown up or meet again. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's like we never sinned in the first place. Praise God. That's exciting. It puts a skip in my step and a glide in my stride. My goodness, praise God. This is exciting. As I close this right now, did you get anything out of this? What does to tell us I mean? You learned something, didn't you? Good. You're smart people. Now listen carefully. As I close this here today, you really need to listen to this. At this point, I've done this now for 24 Easter's. This is 25. I used to always conclude 
Oh, hang on this. Listen carefully. At this point now, I used to lead the congregation in what's known as the sinner's prayer. I'd have everybody stand, and I'd lead the congregation in what's known as the sinner's prayer. The Lord spoke to my heart. He's been dealing with my heart on this for a while, but he finally spoke to my heart right on the inside. And you can judge this for yourself, whether or not it's right. I can miss it. But the Lord spoke to my heart and said that 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 sinner's prayer, listen to me now, that sinner's prayer has put countless multitudes of people in hell. Now some people, what? Now there's nothing wrong with praying. But I watch on television, I watch evangelists, And they'll say the sinner's prayer with me. First of all, you can't find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. Find it for me. I said you can't. When I said it, some people jumped. You can't find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying. But you find it. Find it for me. You can't find it. There's there's, There's only two that come close. One, Jesus gave a story about a man who went up on the mountain and didn't even look to heaven, smote his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You could say that's a sinner's prayer, but that don't sound like any of the sinner's prayer I've ever heard. And then the other one would be the thief on the cross. We talked about it earlier. That don't sound like any sinner's prayer I've heard that I've ever led people to pray or I've heard evangelists on television. You see... When that sinner's prayer is prayed, if you're just praying it to follow and mimic the words of me or another preacher and you don't realize or have any idea what's going on or what you're doing, you're just, well, say this prayer and you're going to go to heaven. Dear friends, that's poisonously dangerous. Did you hear what I just said? Because people will say that prayer and they don't have a clue what they're doing. They just heard the guy on television that's smiling at him real pretty and saying, are they hearing me standing up here smiling at him real pretty, saying, say this after me, repeat after me. How many of you know repeat after me won't get you saved? Did you hear what I just, I mean, this, let's just talk about this. Repeat after me doesn't get anybody saved. Did you hear what I just said? I'm talking about your eternal soul here right now. Were you all doing okay till I got to this part? You still doing okay? See, we don't have we 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 we've got to stop preaching a greasy grace. We've got to stop preaching, repeat after me, say this prayer. Okay, everything's fine, and you can continue going around cussing and, and acting bad and 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 gossiping and 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 doing things you shouldn't do. Folks, two and two don't get you. I'm an old math teacher. Two and two don't get you to four there. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying. Yes, pray. All right, pray. And I'll even concede, okay, pray what's known as a sinner's prayer as long as you understand what you're doing. You're not just repeat after me 
See, and that paid in full. See, what a lot of people want to do, repeat after the preacher and just come up and they want to get their, watch this, they want to get their tickets stamped so they can go to heaven one day, but they want to continue living like the devil. Two and two does not equal four on that. It equals five or, or something besides four. You know what I mean? It's bad math, isn't it? No, 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 no. Now, nothing wrong with praying. As long as you know what you're doing and you're praying mixed with faith. The, listen to this. Listen to me. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's exactly right. That's, Rome, that's in the book of Romans. That's right. But what we don't realize is here in the United States where we live, it costs us very little to say Jesus is Lord. But in the time when that was written to say Jesus is Lord, that lined you up for an appointment in the lion's den. That, that lined you up to putting your head on the chopping blocks to have your head cut off. Did you hear what it just said? And Jesus said, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my Father. I believe in God. Good, so do the demons, the Bible says. You see, I'm talking about not a repeat after me prayer. I'm talking about a complete sellout and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you come with that kind of a repentant heart, then we can say what's known as the sinner's prayer and it'll take, you know what I mean? It'll take, two and two will get you to four, Jesus will come into your heart, stamp paid in full, then it works. But if you're just repeat after me, did you hear me? You must give your life to Jesus and become his servant. His bond servant. You know what a bond servant is? A bond servant is one who has been set free. Then the one who has been set free voluntarily agrees to serve the one who has set them free for the rest of their lives. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus born of a virgin, but he had brothers and sisters, you know. James called himself a bondservant. Jude, one of Jesus' other half-brothers, called himself a bondservant. So when I call people to Christ, from henceforth moving forward, no more just repeat after me. If you want to get saved, you must be willing to turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. That does not mean you're perfect. That does not mean you ever, that you never blunder. How many's ever messed up since, I mean, besides me, I mean, <laughs> I've got, you know, since you've been saved, have you messed up? Anybody messed up? I mean, <laughs> but even there when you mess up, see, there's a scripture that says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you study into that, that doesn't mean, okay, I, 
I, I'm going to sin all day long, and then before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to First John 1, 9 it. Huh? I'll just confess it, get it all right, and then tomorrow I'm going to go ahead sinning all day long. Huh? Folks, that, that verse... 1 John 1, 9, that implies that if you mess up as a Christian, and if you're really saved, by the way, if you're committing sin, right down on the inside, there's going to be a, uh. Has anybody ever got that uh besides me? And then you repent. Realize, say repent. You repent of that. You ask God to forgive you. You confess that sin. Immediately he forgives you. Sure he does. Just, I'm concerned that in the United States especially, these things that we've lost sight of what it means to really be a Christian and, 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 and we've lost sight of repentance. And, 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 and this, is, this, uh, this is serious business. It's not a repeat after me Christianity. Did you get that? So what I'm going to ask you to do is not repeat after me when we dismiss here in just minutes, a minute. There'll be men and women standing up here in the front. I'll be around. If you want to give your heart to Jesus and surrender your life to him, get with one of us. There'll be men and women standing up here. Whatever the case, I'll be at the door. Get with one of us. And we'll, we'll, we'll introduce you to Jesus. And then we will pray with you. But when we pray, you will understand what it is you're getting yourself into. Or, yeah, I heard the Holy Ghost right on the inside. He just said it. No, don't say it that way. We'll explain to you what you're getting yourself out of. You're getting yourself out of hell. And getting yourself into heaven. Well, did you get anything out of this? Was it worth coming? Was it worth investing an hour or so, two hours of your time, whatever it is? Yeah. Stand with me if you would. Glory to God. Praise God forevermore. Well, I'll lead you in a good confession here. Realize, say, tetelestai. Let's practice your Greek here a little more. Say, tetelestai. There you go.